Hello and welcome to another T-Rex Talk podcast. We are outdoors again because it's just way too nice to be inside. And this episode is, uh, it's a weird grab bag of stuff. Uh, we got Glock manufacturing AR-15s now, uh, but apparently not for Americans, for Brits. And then Ryan Bussey, who uh, wrote a book that we reviewed on this podcast back in January, he's back on our radar. So uh, a whole bunch of random threads all being tied together by the Daily Beast. So not normal for us to thank the Daily Beast, but credit where it's due. Thank you, Daily Beast, for tying all these things together into uh, something that makes sense to talk about in a single podcast. Uh, so to get to the main nub of the story, uh, some pictures of a Glock manufactured AR-15 leaked onto the internet from, I believe the first source was some British YouTubers. And of course, they trickled through the rest of the internet. So Matt Hoover and Mr. Guns and Gear and various other peoples in the community started spreading these pictures around. And they looked into the rifle and some different carbine patents that Glock filed back in like 2019. And the ATF, uh, interestingly enough, has some records of Glock carbine barrel imports into this country. So very interesting stuff to, uh, to consider. And then uh, John Crump did some more digging for an article that's on Ammoland. I'll link to that uh, down below. Apparently, the Glock carbine is designated the GR-115F and is currently undergoing trials with the British Army. Uh, and the reason for this is the British Army would like to replace the SA-80 uh, bullpup rifle and not a moment too soon, I would say. Uh, the British Royal Marines already replaced it. Colt Canada was going to be the manufacturer for, for those, those regular M4s. Uh, so for this current British Army trial... Apparently, the Glock Air 15 is going up against a Knight's Armament carbine and an LMT carbine. So, Lewis Machine and Tool. These are both very, very high-end manufacturers. So, Glock is competing against more, more premium uh, military contract kind of stuff here. Now, is, uh, is that premium high-level thing what Glock is known for? In the past, no. But today, kind of yes. Uh, Glock has sort of become a premium brand, not because of any change that they have made, but just sort of the way that the market has changed around them. And we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more as we move forwards. And then um, is Glock known for tackling military contract bids? Today, not really, but in the past, yes. And I don't know that Glock has necessarily changed their policy, but just kind of the way that military contracts and purchasing has has changed around them, has uh, that, that has changed over the last 30, 40 years. So that's very interesting. Another really interesting thing is the Glock carbine. I got to remember this name, the GR115F. It has polymer hardware on it, not surprising, but that polymer hardware is from Magpul, which is kind of odd because in the past, Glock was the king of polymer injection molding. And so it's weird that that would be kind of like if T-Rex Arms invented a pistol, and we sent it out to reviewers in somebody else's holster. Just feels like kind of an odd thing. But it does indicate that they are focused more on not just making a rifle, but designing something internally, functionally, mechanically, that is a premium thing that's going to compete with Knight's Armament, maybe change a few things about the Air 15 spec the way that Knight's Armament has with the SR-25 in the past, stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, kind of interesting. And then Glock, of course, made a comment saying that this is something that they have developed for military trials, for select contracts only, and they're not going to comment on future civilian sales. But that 
Uh, that, that alone was enough for the Daily Beast to freak out. And they published an article with a, uh, a big headline. I'd like to congratulate them for restraining themselves and not putting exclamation points in this headline. But the headline is, Glock AR-15 rumors run rampant. That would be a nightmare by Michael Daly. Now, I'm not going to uh, read the whole article the way that I read uh, uh, every single line of a previous article uh, about, about radios. People freaking out over the nightmare of unlicensed radio usage. Uh, but I will link to this article by Michael Daly down below so you can read the whole thing. But the very first line <laughs> gets us off to a great start. Bruce Willis rhapsodized about them in Die Hard 2. <laughs> Which is not exactly how I remember that scene. Tupac rapped about them and was killed by one. So he just goes on and on about Glocks, their importance in, uh, in culture and their widespread adoption. Between cops and hip-hop stars and actual gangsters and everyday gun nuts, the reliably deadly Glock has become a generic term for all semi-automatic pistols. Glock is baked into the American consciousness thanks to Hollywood and lyrics that take advantage of the name's rhymeability. No, that's actually kind of true. This is sort of hyperbole. I wouldn't actually call it great reporting, but I do appreciate that he points out that Hollywood is as much a part of selling Glock to American consumers uh, as anyone else. Uh, I will say that Die Hard 2 was not exactly doing that, though. When Die Hard 2 came out, it was 1990, and people in Hollywood did not know how guns work. They did not know what Glocks were. They were still really freaking out about these magical plastic or porcelain pistols. That punk pulled a Glock 7 on me. You know what that is? It's a porcelain gun made in Germany. Doesn't show up on your airport x-ray machines here, and it costs more than you make it a month. Next line from the article, uh, he's talking just about how widespread Glock is and how widespread even the Glock name is, and it's not, it's not super accurate at this point. He says there is a cheap device that can illegally convert a semi-automatic pistol into a fully automatic machine gun. It's known as a Glock switch, even though the company apparently had nothing to do with this development production. You know, that's, that's the thing that journalists could figure out, whether or not the Glock company ever actually manufactures these little full-auto switches that you can buy on Wish.com. Uh, instead of saying, apparently, you know, you could actually do some journalism. That would be an interesting idea. And the reason that that little switch is called a Glock switch is because it goes on a Glock. If you buy a trigger pack or an auto sear for a different gun, it will be named after the gun that it goes in. So this isn't really, it isn't really making the point. Uh, but then the Daily Beast article moves on. They talk about the rumored AR-15, and their sole source, the only quoted source that they have for this article, is in fact none other than Ryan Bussey, the author of Gunfight, My Battle Against the Industry That Radicalized America, who is now a senior policy analyst at the Gifford Law Center. Now, this actually makes a whole bunch of things make more sense. In January, as I mentioned, we reviewed this book, Gunfight, written by Ryan Bussey, which is kind of an autobiography, sort of a memoir, not exactly an expose, but it's trying uh, really hard to be one. It's more of a, a fast, dirty, mudslinging job. So just for background reference, Ryan Bussey spent 20 years working in the gun industry as a salesman for Kimber. And over that time, his wife and his kids grew to really dislike the industry, and he saw, he saw some ugly stuff in there. That I absolutely 100% believe. But his main beef appears to be with trends that uh, not only he disliked personally, but took sales away from him and from his company. And the NRA uh, went from being their most useful advertising partner to kind of a has-been that no longer had the advertising clout to make Kimber a market leader in the space. 
And so while Bussy paints himself as this heroic white knight, this noble whistleblower who is deeply concerned about horrific trends, and he makes the great sacrifice of taking on this giant behemoth, the NRA, uh, it really does come across more like kind of the jilted ex-boyfriend, bitter and spiteful, turning on the previous object of his affections. Uh, it's kind of a weird book, and it didn't really make sense to me as any particular sort of genre. But now that he's with Gifford, I think all the pieces are in place. My theory is now that Ryan Bussey has been, ever since he left Kimber, upon being moved around in a much bigger game. He ran into some sort of influential guy who heard his backstory and said, Hey, here's my tailor. Go get yourself three really nice suits. Here's my ghostwriter. Go get you a puff piece book. Get on some talk shows. Build your credibility. You're a made man now. And so I think that um, he's kind of the perfect person for the left. I thought that he was going to pursue an angle of being a, uh, a noble whistleblower, a middle-of-the-roader, a guy who could see both sides. But now he's working for Gifford's Law Center. And he's being positioned as this guy, somebody who has insider knowledge. He has all the zeal of a new convert, a first-hand account of the terrible, terrible corruption inside of the gun industry and the NRA specifically. And he can uphold this idea that the NRA has been this malevolent mastermind pulling all of the strings and selling all of the guns. And so I'm assuming that Ryan Bussey will be around for a while. They're going to use him for a bit. But he's also, he's also kind of a weird voice for this group because he speaks very much from his own experiences that aren't exactly the party line. So here's a pretty funny quote from the article. Glock has always been very, very egotistical, kind of hoity-toity about everything they do, Bussey said. You know, they're the smart Europeans. They don't have to build American-style guns. They do it their way. They kind of give the finger to everybody. Which is an interesting comment, because the original Glock pistol is kind of the opposite of that. If you picture hoity-toity Euro guns, uh, I picture those coming from like Holland and Holland of London. Uh, imagine, if you will, a $200,000 Beretta double-barreled shotgun, gold engraved with nobility hunting, the sort of thing that a Biden might buy. And now imagine the plastic mass-produced Glock pistol. <laughs> Uh, it's a way simpler, cheaper, more budget approach. It's very smart, but it is not hoity-toity. And it's not very exclusive anymore. Everybody is making a plastic frame striker file double stack Wonder 9 now. That's how all pistols work, European and American alike. All the big sellers are this way. And a bunch of them are European. H&K coming out of Germany. Walter coming out of Germany. CZ uh, coming out of the Czech Republic. FN coming out of Belgium. Even Springfield Arms' all-American XD pistol is made in Croatia. Uh, and then one of the most hoity-toity of all the European companies, Beretta, they moved all their pistol manufacture here to Tennessee. And SIG is no longer really a German company. All of their stuff is made in the United States right now at this point. And even Glock, uh, Glock does the vast majority of their civilian Glock manufacture, which is probably, uh, if we're honest, the vast majority of their actual pistol manufacture in Smyrna, Georgia. So not only are they super hoity-toity, they're also not uh, super European. But uh, he must have meant something else because Ryan Bussey has been in the gun industry for a lot longer than I have been and in a much larger company and in much more exalted circles. So he probably is thinking about very different connections than mine. He he may be talking about the Glock family. And I would say they do seem like hoity-toity European Austrian type folks. I think one of their hobbies now includes collecting Lippenzahner stallions. So that is the highest of the hoy and the tightest of the toit that I can pretty much imagine. 
But I kind of don't think that's it. The worst case scenario is this is just uh, the quote that you would get, not from the Giffords Law Policy Center, but from a Kimber salesman who worked in the 90s. Because Kimber got started making classic bolt-action hunting rifles, and then they moved into reproduction 1911s, which is one of the most American guns ever, designed by John Moses Browning himself. And it's a pretty high-tolerance, finicky, and very expensive gun to build. And the Glock 17 is sort of the opposite of that. It is a masterpiece of simplified design. It is super cheap and reliable. Uh, the Glock 17, I think when it originally came out, had like 30 parts all injection molded plastic for the tricky bits. The machining is only on the simple bits and stamped sheet metal for a lot of the springs and interlocking connector parts. So these are very forgiving materials, both to build with, but also to make a gun out of. The mechanism was designed all around the manufacturing and the result was really incredible. It was cheap, it was reliable, and it was just really, really good all around. And it was a pretty slow starter in the U.S. market. A lot of that had to do with people being afraid of plastic guns, like the people who wrote the script to Die Hard 2. But eventually, they got total market domination. And at that point, Kimber's 1911s were no longer flying off the shelves. They had to adjust their prices to compete with Glock and all of the other Glock imitators. And one of the things that they did was they stopped making as many machined parts and they started making MIM parts, the uh, metal injection molded parts, which using that current era of MIM technology made parts that were a lot weaker and prone to breakage. And these breakages and failures hurt Kimber's reputation and sales even more. And this period, by the way, is not in the book. None of these decisions are in the book. He doesn't blame any of the uh, decreased sales on any of these decisions. But what is in the book is that Bussy is kind of a Luddite in a few ways. He likes the old guns made the old ways, and I do too. I think those things are fantastic. But Bussy doesn't like it when the old guns get superseded by superior tech. And then he really hates it when consumers prefer the superior tech. Um, but to be fair, he does have some serious years in the biz, and he has some really good observations. So based on his observations, uh, we get to the next part of the article. The production of military weapons is relatively low in profits and high in maddening requirements. This is 100% true. Bussy guesses that Glock will follow the same successful marketing strategy it took back in the 1980s. Quote, they love to use police-slash-military biz to drive consumer sales, Bussy said in a text. That's been their gig for 35 years, close quote. If Glock decides to parlay a military contract into a consumer product, Bussy feels that the AR-15 would be a success, even though there are, by his count, more than 500 companies making such assault weapons. Um, yeah, definitely more than 500 companies. I think this is a solid assessment. Uh, I would make a slight marketing point, a little quibble here. Americans don't really know that the Glock 17 is the sidearm for the Austrian army, so their consumer sales haven't really come from their military contracts as much as, say, Beretta or SIG with the P320. Uh, mostly, we here in the United States know that cops use them, and uh, we know the cops use them because of Tommy Lee Jones. Get yourself a Glock. Lose that nickel-plated sissy pistol. Hollywood has probably been the biggest Glock sales engine, and uh, that's why there are so many of them out there. Um, the AR-15 market is also hugely served, and things have pretty much organized themselves into specific niches. So a question that I have is sort of where Glock would fall. 
AR-15s are interesting in that in the past, when they were originally developed back in the 60s, they were a premium product. They had premium materials that had to be manufactured a very specific way. But AR-15s are now not only widespread, but very, very cheap. And the Glock pistol strength is kind of the opposite. In the 90s, when it came to the United States, it was a very cheap and easy to manufacture part that was available in huge quantities with great reliability. Yes, uh, the Glock 17 was built specifically to compete for an Austrian military contract. And then it was adopted by other militaries and then other law enforcement based on its own merits. Now, Glock was not the first to make a plastic gun. Remington actually made a plastic gun uh, out of nylon in the 60s. H&K made the VP-70, the Volks pistol, in the 70s. Um, and Glock did not begin making their pistol until, I believe, 81 or 82. The Glock is basically the same age that I am. And uh, it's pretty fascinating. Generally speaking, people do not invent a gun from scratch to compete in a military trial. They make little tweaks to something that they already have working. Gaston Glock not only invented a gun from scratch to compete in these Austrian military trials, it was his first gun that he had ever worked on. That is hugely impressive. From there, obviously, it went on to uh, law enforcement sales. Now, for the most of the 20th century, American police were using 38 caliber revolvers, 357 revolvers. Teddy Roosevelt is actually the guy who got that started. He standardized police carry weapons in the 1890s when he was the commissioner of the NYPD, or one of the commissioners. Now, that was a 32 caliber Colt revolver, but uh, it enabled everybody to use the same ammo, everybody to use the same training, everybody to have access to the same spare parts, and uh, pretty much everybody followed that lead from then on out. There were a few departments that used 1911s and high powers later on, but for the most part, they were basically just revolvers, just wheel guns into the 1960s. It wasn't until those late 60s that uh, the Smith & Wesson Model 39 got picked up. I think it was the uh, larger Illinois State Department uh, that picked that up first, and then it became pretty common. And then the Model 59, and people really liked these pistols because they carried a lot more ammunition, but they were quite a bit heavier. So when the Glock 17 came out, which was a much lighter gun, carrying a lot more bullets, and it was incredibly reliable, needing very little maintenance, and had an extremely attractive price, well, they kind of undercut everybody in the 80s and were a tremendous hit. But since then, they've sort of been undercut uh, by everybody else. There's a ton of people making really similar guns for a really similar price. And recently, we've been seeing a whole bunch of cheaper Glock knockoffs, which means that Glock has kind of, in the last 30 years, gone from being the cheapest available option to something that is a little bit more like a premium brand. And Glock has not had to adjust their prices down to compete with the uh, PSA Dagger, for example, because their sheer market adoption and aftermarket support really allows them to command that higher price point. So my assumption is that Glock will not and cannot make an Air 15 that sells for 50% of the cost of current market rifles the way that they did with, uh, with duty pistols back in the 80s. They will do something that is more premium, and I believe that it absolutely will hit the U.S. civilian market eventually. Essentially, that's the only civilian market for semi-automatic carbines. And uh, even if they only sell it to Glock fans, it's totally worth doing. The import paperwork will be a hassle, but uh, yeah, they'd, they'd be really foolish not to. Which is pretty much the assumption that the Daily Beast article also makes. 
again, this isn't really journalism. It's kind of hyperbole. But the whole purpose of the article is essentially to be a threat, a uh, sort of a shot across the bows of Glock. This is towards the end of the article. And it says, Glocks have been used to horrific effect in numerous mass shootings, including one in 2011 at a Congress on your corner event in Tucson, where a gunman killed six and disabled Representative Gabby Giffords, who went on to found the Gun Control Law Center where Bussy now works. A man with a Glock killed 32 at Virginia Tech in 2007. Oh, by the way, this is probably a good point to pen out. This article has had a lot of corrections. An earlier version of this article said that the Virginia Tech shooter had two Glocks, which was not true. Uh, it also said that he was killing people at Virginia State. Really easy things to Google. Uh, and, uh, you know, the corrections got in there eventually, so that's all good. Then Michael Daly makes a very interesting observation. But handgun attacks with adult victims have not sparked the same outrage toward the manufacturer as makers of assault weapons. And that is a really good point. I think the main reason for that is because various powers that be, including the people that gave Ryan Bussey this soapbox to stand on, really, really, really want to have an assault weapon ban. And so there has been a disproportionately high level of attention on assault weapon massacres, even though uh, the, the, just the murder rate, the homicide toll from handguns is so much higher that it's just, I mean, even Michael Daly points out this discrepancy. Should Glock, this is the threat, by the way, should Glock go into the AR-15 business, it would be only one mass school shooting away from finding itself widely condemned. So the article ends kind of on a nice business you got there. Be a shame if something bad happened to it kind of vibe. But I think there's a couple of things worth noting. One, one takeaway is that uh, it's obvious now that Bussy is going to be around for a while. He has pitched himself as the anti-NRA the white knight who can slay the NRA with his secret knowledge that he obtained from within. But it's obvious, and I'd say increasingly obvious, that he is just as stuck in the past uh, as the NRA. So one of the things that we have talked about uh, a little bit in past episodes, in fact, even last episode, is that the, the NRA is kind of obsolete. They are stuck on these ancient, ancient talking points. Most of their power exists in their old media, their magazines and stuff like that which at this point is only read by an older demographic. And all their marketing partners and fundraising people are these older businesses like Kimber. They're barely talking about gun culture 2.0 stuff. And they're not doing a great job of reaching new folks. And they're not really even keeping up with their lobbying efforts. They're not really keeping up with some of the new developments when it comes to gun laws. They're still talking about stuff that... Uh, we are way past the Bruin decision, West Virginia versus EPA. There are some major Supreme Court rulings and major federal court rulings that the NRA just isn't talking about. They are still fundraising on the basis of like 1990s gun bills. And Bussy kind of is too. He saw some amazing tectonic shifts in the gun industry. He was there when a lot of these changes happened caused by the internet and various other things. But instead of really understanding these changes and adapting to them, uh, he quit. The NRA was the huge sales engine for the industry that he knew and the few gun companies that he was really familiar with. And then the NRA failed him. And so he bailed and he's bitter about it. Uh, and like I said earlier, he lost his opportunity to be a middle of the road guy who can see both sides of the argument by joining Giffords. He's completely blown his credibility by anyone on the right side or anyone in the middle. 
Uh, so now he's really only useful as long as he serves that particular party line. I mean, he is getting listened to. He's a great example of how credibility can come from certain authority figures. And, and then it doesn't really get questioned. So that quote about Glock being a hoity-toity Euro brand really makes no sense for a spokesman for Giffords to say. And it makes no sense for Daily Beast. Uh, it really makes no sense to anyone who wasn't trying to sell 1911s in 1991. Michael Daly does not do very much journalisming in this article, but he is a good enough writer to know that this paragraph doesn't really fit. It doesn't have a point. It certainly doesn't support his point. Leftists like Eurocentric aloofness much better than they like American manufacturing prowess. So why is it in there? It has no bearing on gun violence. But Bussy is an anointed figure now. He's got his blue check mark. He's got his Giffords paycheck. He's got his book deal. He's got his interviews on The Daily Show. So yeah, he's, he's in. He's a made man. His quotes will get published. So the end of the article, again, leans very heavily on Bussy to tell us what will happen in the future. He says, even so... Bussy hears that Glock is poised to cash in on the gun boom and produce more of the last thing we need. Quote, my folks inside the industry think Glock is in fact going to launch the AR, unquote, Bussy told the Daily Beast. Yes, the gun boom. Very funny. You know, I'm actually going to kind of uh, agree with the Daily Beast for once. I'm not going to go so far as to say that the AR-15 is the last thing that we need, but how much better would it be if Glock made an AR-10. So uh, if anyone at Glock is listening right now, please make us an AR-10 or an AR-18. That would be fantastic and it would be useful and it would sell. I would buy one. I'm not going to buy a Glock AR-15. I already have enough Glocks and enough AR-15s, but a Glock AR-18 or a Glock AR-10, I'm sure I'd get at least one of each. These things are so cool. They shoot underwater. You pour sand in them and they'll shoot. Shoot every time. It's a good choice. 